Sometimes you gotta know when it's over. You know? They say nothing lasts forever, though. Damn. It seems lately that we don't speak at all As I see us decrease and fall I think about the times we were better We used to be involved I know we grown apart within the last couple months But we were young when we hooked up Not knowing these were my ones And I won't even front Cause I don't really want you to leave But I'm not happy here And I'm not sure you're happy with me Plus there's these times when we talk on the phone This is uncomfortable silence That makes me wonder if we're better alone I mean, is it me or are we going at war? Being with you is my vacation Now it's more like a chore Maybe if you quit the pick up and pitch And then take a listen We can find ourselves in better positions I keep wishing for the best But these thoughts lie in the back of my mind Telling me it's over, we just wasted most of our time We need to just quit the confusing And come to the sad conclusion That whatever we had in the past was an illusion Let's go Things come and go, they say yeah, he's playing in the Hello and welcome to the Intentional Clinician Podcast I'm your host, Paul Krause, licensed professional counselor In today's episode, I'm going to be interviewing Chris Blunt He is a close friend of mine for many years not sure how many, but a lot. Musician, he's a father, and basically a jack-of-all-trades, currently running a studio in Tacoma, Washington, a music studio. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. It's great to be here, Paul. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Good. This is, um, man, it's been a while since we hung out. It's so, true. Yeah, so I, thank you for having me on your show. This is great. It's good to see and talk to you. In person. So, yeah, in person. For once. So this is great, man. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Thank you very much for coming out. Well, thanks for uh, hosting me here in the Tacoma, Seattle area. That's it's right. Been... On purpose recordings in Tacoma, Washington. We are in your studio. Yes. Using your equipment, which I am very uh, happy with. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. This is weird because this is the first time I'm being interviewed in my own space. Normally, I'm doing the interviews. I've taken over. Yes, you've taken over. Colonized my damn studio. <laughs> Thank you. He went there. Okay, so um, basically, now I want to talk about a little bit of background, but I yeah. basically for the listeners, this is going to be an interesting interview. Uh, Chris, I'm going to be interviewing you about your personal experience of being African American male in the United States and growing up in New Orleans and a lot of life experiences. So I appreciate you being open to this interview. Absolutely, man. I am all about it. I'm an open book. Let's get into it. Yeah. So, Definitely. okay, let's get into it. Well, before we get into it, let's give the listeners a little background. How do how in the heck do we know each other? Oh, man. The short so, version. Short version. Short, the short G-rated version. <laughs> <laughs> I got a I got a reputation to yes. maintain, Chris. Okay. There's a reputation. So he's a he's an upstanding gentleman, everybody. Um, and I met him. He's way more clean cut than me. But that doesn't mean he's clean. Uh, so, like, I think that, um, <laughs> nah, we actually met, um, we met through a mutual friend. I think it was a roommate of your your friend. A roommate of a, a friend I was in a, a band with yeah. in Chicago. And we met, I want to say, going into 2006. Six. We, go, yes. we went, going into 2006, we met at a New Year's Eve party. And uh, we our common bond was Wu-Tang. That's correct. Yeah, because um, he's a everybody who knows him. Uh, to all the people listening, um, he's just a skinny white guy, and um, <laughs> and I over I'm hanging out with my friends, and I overheard him talking about cream, and I am a hip hop enthusiast, and also kind of hood guy. So I was like, oh, "What you know about cream, right?" And we sat there, and we we like wax poetic about a bunch of music in general, and uh, we got along. And and years would go by. He would, he would be one of my. I like to say he's one of my first 
genuine friends that happen to be white. Because you know how, like, you grow up in, as a black guy and you have a white friend mm-hmm. or you have that gay friend or that friend and et cetera, et cetera. They right. become the representation for everything of their race and their culture. Um, I've had that before. And, you know, and some of them are better friends now, but I used to be annoyed by it, right? Right. And um, I remember going out to, because I'm born and raised in New Orleans, and Chicago was my first experience outside of the state living somewhere. Right. And so, um, before you know it, like, I met people, but I wasn't really that close to them. And you and I gelled really well. And, I like, looking back on it, hindsight being 2020, you were, you were my first genu- genuine, like, friend who just happened to be white. Wow, you know, so, that's cool. Yeah, so I actually cool. didn't know that. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's a little tidbit well, for you. Yeah, yeah, and I really appreciated it too. And it just sort of naturally arose. Uh, we talked about music, and mm-hmm. I was talking about Cream because I had entertained myself by playing it on piano, and yes. I was getting really excited about that. And and just to be real, I'm not. I don't know that much about hip hop. I just know what I listen to. And so people yeah. sent me different songs, and so it was just funny because. I don't even know. It was kind of weird. It was one of those crazy nights, and I was just talking about it to somebody else completely at the party. Mm-hmm. And then you guys, you and Ramon, came over. Yeah. And then we just, I think we were all kind of a little bored at that point at the yeah, party. Yeah, because it was just a, such a, like, it was kind of a bland it was party a, at the time. To be fair, it was, I want to say it was like, New Year's Eve parties don't really get kicked off till you're closer to midnight. Yeah, this was early. It was yeah. like 8 p.m. Yeah, like 8 p.m. Like. We, so were, the, we were a really, little too early. Yeah, yeah. entirely too early. It, but it, at the time, I was kind of new in the city, so it was more so like, let me check out the scene because I don't know this place. You know, And I went in there, and I was like, this is awkward. Ron and I are the only two people of color <laughs> That's in true. here. This is, I don't want to get killed. You know, like, I always think, like, when I walk into a place and there's a bunch of white people, till this day, I'm like, mm, let me watch myself, you know, so I secure the area, make sure I'm good. Yeah, so, yeah. well, that actually, whoa, we're going, that was actually a question I was going to ask you later, but, uh, so anyway, yeah, we met yeah. that night, uh, let's give a little segue, Yeah, we met that night, we both had different jobs, I was in grad school, but we ended up uh, collaborating on some songs that yeah. you had written. You uh, are on, I want to say you're on every one of my albums. I think I might be. Yeah, you're on every one of my albums, which is interesting. Right, yeah. except for the early demos, which you yeah. made in New Orleans, early but, yeah, demos. all the, all oh, the that, major that life, albums. Yeah, but that, that life, I was in a rap group. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I was okay. in a rap group and the rap click and everything and then i started doing my own solo, solo. Yeah. oh so i'm on the all the so you're, solo you're on every okay. every one of my solo albums oh well i'm honored to be cool. on there thank you man it's an honor it's an honor so and we've done a lot of music projects but yes you know being this the topic of my show and oh oh i forgot to mention this chris also hosts two podcasts yes so i do I one do. is called profoundly ignorant yes and a good and chris talks because I talk a lot. So Chris yes. Talks is more of an interview-based podcast, uh, mm-hmm. authentic conversations. And I would say Profoundly Ignorant is more, what do you, what do you um, want to call I, it? I would say political geekery. Yeah, um, like, okay, that's yeah, a good way to put it. It's a lot of po- political politics yeah. and pop culture and geekery. It's myself, um, my friends Finks and Breezy, and we all t- sit there together. We are talking heads about the current political climate whatever that may be at the time and what's going on during the week and our interests. It's very topical. I like it. It's very entertaining. Thank I was, you very I was much, listening man. to it on an airplane yeah. about last month. Yeah, we talked And a I was lot laughing out loud. Thank and, you very and, much. And I man. had to kind of like switch podcasts because <laughs> I was like kind of like it was cracking me up too much. And so it's a good one if you want to download it. Chris Talks is uh definitely 
more conversational, very awesome mm-hmm. podcast as well. Just totally different. Thank so, you. Thank you very much, man. Um, it's really so, good. Well, so let's let's dive into this. So obviously, uh, we kind of announced our backgrounds at the beginning of the mm-hmm. podcast, but you, I've always been intrigued about, you know, being in the counseling field, we're always learning about um, being culturally competent, um, uh, learning about intersectionality, mm. how do you help, how do you work with people of all different cultures? And that doesn't, doesn't mean ethnicity. It could just mean like people that go to certain types of religious gatherings, people that live in certain regions. Um, but it also, and I think there's a lot to be said for studying it in books, but I also find that the best way I learned was through exposure mm-hmm. to different cultures and people that are different from me, which has always been something I've tried to expose myself to since I was younger and my parents owning a motel, I found myself meeting people from all different um, ethnicities and cultural backgrounds because we live next to a major university where a lot of people would come through. And um, so that was some, that I feel like that's one of the best ways to learn, but I, I really think it would be awesome for you to kind of tell us your perspective a little bit about what mm. what we can learn at like this is a show for counselors but also a show for your average listener but how do we learn about the experience of of what you have been through just in your life because i think there's a lot of stuff in the media and a lot of people commenting uh over the last couple of years but i think that i've learned a lot more valuable things just from conversations with you than i have yeah. reading any of that so uh well i come from a very unique situation as far as um how like i had a traditional inner city upbringing like a lot of black kids right but new orleans is is a special flavor in the sense of you know the culture is so unique uh we the way we do things the way we cook the way we, we believe in things um it's always been like this kind of flyway of of living in the sense and because it's it's filled with festivals it's filled with it's steeped in tradition and so that's what makes it special. But obviously, when you're in it, you don't realize it until you leave. Um, in oh, a lot right. Of ways. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, we realize it now in general because I think... But when um, you were young, you mean... Yeah, when we were you young. didn't realize how special it was. Exactly, right. exactly. But I come, from a, um, I come from a household where it was slightly... It wasn't traditional. It was, you know, kind of broken, if you, if you will. <laughs> My mother was mostly single. Uh, she married my stepdad when I was like five or six, but even that was a traumatic experience. And so I grew up in um, in a very volatile environment. Not not necessarily in my house, but definitely in my neighborhood. So right. they were like um, in, the, in all the nineties. It was a high murder rate, things like that. Crime was was ridiculous. Um, police brutality and um, and corruption um, were high, um, and we were, were aware of it as children. Because it it was one of those things that trickled down. So, you know, the politics and the murders are fucked up with the adults. And then it blended down to the kids in the schools. Right. And so we would we would feel that. And there's that, that tension, that that way of going about it. So, you know, you're going against the, like, versions of, quote, unquote, bullies, you know, in schools. And then you got to deal with police. Right. And everything. And so... As a black child, and I'm sure most most people who grew up in black households could could attest to this. Um, one of the things that we were taught when we were young is that a um, know how to act around the police accordingly. 
And also, you got to try twice as hard to get accepted <laughs> just as much, you know, right. from a regular. So I got to do better. I was always taught that the world is kind of against me and they don't want to see you rise. And as a young, optimistic kid, I thought, well, even my mom's over-exaggerating. Mm-hmm. But then when you get out into the world, you're like, oh, oh, shit, this is, um, this is real in a lot of ways, you know, because you, you find out about institutionalized racism. You know, um, the the fact that the schools, the schools don't, if you live in a poor neighborhood, they'll deny you services or they won't tell you about different things. I remember in certain, um, and it could be blocks away from each other, you know? Right. Um, my friend's school, one of my best friends, his school was this nice school in New Orleans, and they had all these opportunity and options in the world. Um, I would go there after my, I would go to, I went to the school across the way, about two miles away. And I remember them pumping limited options mm-hmm. <laughs> to me as far as what I want to do. Cause the counselors don't care. Um, the counselors, I won't say they didn't care. It but didn't feel that it way. It didn't feel like right. they cared. That's, a, that's to, a better well, way to Well, compared to your friend's school. Exactly. And right. I would go to my friend's school and actually I would study off their homework. Really? And talk to their counselors, um, to their guidance counselors, and would end up using them um, for the majority of my high school career. You know, I, I like to say that that really helped me um, shape what I wanted to do with my life. Wow. And, yeah. I did not even know about that story. Yeah. And you so, grew up yeah. in a, a notorious neighborhood like you were talking about just in general in New Orleans, but you grew up in kind of an infamous neighborhood, didn't you? I wouldn't say infamous. I think, you well, know. Well, newsworthy. Yeah, newsworthy. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. <definitely. laughs> newsworthy. I, do, I grew up in a newsworthy time. Right. I, I think all of New Orleans is so mixed and blended to where it can happen at any given point oh, in I see. any given okay. area. So um, the great soldier Slim once said in the interview, if you if you were doing dirt and you came out alive in New Orleans in the nineties, you a G. You know what I'm saying? Like wow. which okay. pretty much is like and granted I wasn't doing dirt then, but right. that that gives you a glimpse into the viol- the violence and the drama that was going on during that time. You were just exposed to it oh, by being by living by, there. Absolutely. Right. You're exposed to a lot by living there, man. So right. uh it was it was definitely a lot, but it, it became so normalized to us. Mm. You know, um seeing violence and seeing the you know the the loss of life, the tragic ends, things like that that became normalized, and you don't realize how traumatizing things are till you're older, mm. you know. Um, but we all adjust, we all adapt, we all adjust, and I think that one of the misconceptions that people get about quote unquote the hood or whatnot, right? They uh, especially if they grew up out of it, not inside, it, is that we're human, man. Like we have the exact same emotions. I can, I, I, this is why we used to watch all the shows, um, like, you know, you say by the bells, the, right. you know, your um, <laughs> 90210s, you know right. what I'm saying? And, and even, you know, good times in the Jeffersons, like the, like all these experiences, are, you know, in the American culture are, are essentially the same. Just the characters are different, and the slang is different. In the in the situation, like the, the neighborhood yeah, or whatever. Maybe the situation, yeah, but we all go through heartbreak. We, Oh no, I don't mean this. I just meant like the setup. Oh yeah, the exactly. Setup. The setup. Not the, not the emotions. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, exactly. We all go through the heartbreaks. We go through love. We go through pain. We go through embarrassment. Things like that. And I think people forget that when they when they see something that's different from them. Well, and exactly. So that actually is a very key point. And I mm-hmm. think that's breaking it down to the most simple. Was that if like 
for instance, when I said infamous, it's because newsworthy. So like here Absolutely. I am in, I, I didn't grow up, I, I grew up in a weird situation. So, but the point was, is that I didn't grow up in the suburbs and I didn't grow up in the inner city, but mm. I grew up in a business and I also grew up in a trailer park. So two yeah. strange places, but what I would see <laughs> And and I didn't have well I did end up going to school in an urban area so I ended up having a diverse ethnic friends because I went to school in downtown Lansing for some weird reason yeah. on Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard mm. um, was where I went to elementary school and it was because of, of a lot of reasons then I ended up going to school in the suburbs which was predominantly white Caucasian uh, Anglo-Saxon okay. but but my elementary school was not like that but here I am watching television and mm. at that time besides people staying at our motel. Mm-hmm. The only African-American people I saw were either on campus, and they were athletes, because I lived next to a university, yeah, or they were on the news. Yeah. So, and like, uh, you know, the show Cops, and there was, there was actually a, it was weird, because the way, you know, the newsworthy, the way the news covered mm-hmm. these things, I think, I, I can't say that the news was trying to be racist, but it was sort of... A, a labeling of that neighborhood and a labeling of the ethnicity of African-American people in a way yeah. because that they would only show terrible things happening unless it was like an athlete or a famous person. It was always like, oh, something terrible happened in this part of this town yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And, and it, it, I, don't, I don't know why that stuck in my head, but we were talking about it's the same, you know, we're all, we all have the same, but it's like if I hadn't, ever moved out of my town and mm. had conversations with people that had grown up in that area, I may have had biases I would not even know about. Mm. If I hadn't challenged my own... And, and it's not like I had stored preconceptions. I probably did, but but I mean, I wasn't like very aware of what those were. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? I just knew, you know, I just knew what I was hearing. But, you know, growing up in the elementary school was different. You know, going uh, to that school... But even there, a lot of the African-American friends I had had, like, you know, I don't know, better opportunities or something. Like, they were, you know what I'm saying? So I didn't really encounter that, what you, what your, you know, the situation you grew up in with, like, the, the poorer school. And like you said, mm-hmm. at your school, you would go to your friend's school to get help. Yeah. So I, I feel like, you know, there's one thing to learn about it, but there's a the next thing to have conversations and open up to it because you just... You already went to the whole moral thing. We all have the same emotions. It's just mm-hmm. we're all growing up in a different context. And I think that's hard for people to understand if you've never visited an area or talked to somebody who's from a completely different culture than you. Yeah. And so I feel like my whole thesis with that is, and I think why there's a lot of mudslinging in the media and all that is, besides to sell commercials, besides that, is because people are not actually having conversations. And people no. are not actually going out of their little zone of comfort and that is leading to lending to a lot of problems in our country right now. So anyway, that's a whole giant topic. Mm. But back to you. So that was. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's. Um, I, I honestly think that conversation is something that we lack in general in our society. You, the opposite. My, for example, my daughter, she's seven, and highly emotional. Mm-hmm. Right, she um, and she gets pissed off for little things, and afterwards she doesn't want to talk. Right, she doesn't want to talk. She just gets upset. And so one day I'm driving her to school after an upsetting an upsetting morning because she is not a morning person. 
And one of the things that I explained to her, and I was like, hey, remember, the opposite of fear and um, anger is knowledge. I would like you, I was like, so we would have to, you would have to tell me what's going on with you, whether it's my fault or not, so we can have an understanding, so we can move forward. And that'll solve the pain, that'll solve that, right? So I think we look at the other and it's quick to, vil- and we're easy to villainize mm. because A, we're sold something online, we're sold something through the media mm-hmm. and all these preconceived notions, Right. So um, I know that from our end, I grew up around mostly black people, right? And the the you know the the media or the preconceived notion, right, is American slavery. So you have white people, <laughs> right, are the enemy. Not only that, add in that I'm in the South, I'm in the Bible Belt, so you get a lot of people who come around and they're like, "You don't belong here." They justify slavery. They justify the lack of civil rights to get to to degrade you and to make you less than human. So I grew up with that in mind. Like the history of that or actually as that happening the also? History, the history of mine and actually right. it is happening. Well, yeah, I know that. I know that. But yeah. I mean, I wanted to get you to get into that. Oh, so absolutely. The so, history is there. But New Orleans and um, Baton Rouge are kind of like little enclaves, I absolutely. suppose. And I then, mean, yeah. But Ramon told me he drove outside New Orleans and was... Feeling like, oh, it's definitely it's definitely more a, rural, hick, right? You know, but just a little bit more outwardly racist. He, well, he felt nervous because yeah. there was Confederate flags everywhere. Absolutely, right? Just yeah. like an hour outside. Anyway, but right back outside. To, but so I, tell me more about yeah. like you felt like there you are growing up around mostly black people. Then what? Yeah. So like, what and, is this doing to your? And my only right. my only interactions with white people were when we would drive around to like different suburbs, and we would see people looking at us in fear, clutching their purses or and or oh. um, protesting that we shouldn't be around there. Because remember, we are also, I grew up in the era of David Duke. Mm. So David Duke was a senator in Louisiana. He was a senator? Yeah, he was a senator in Louisiana. And he was also? Uh, head of the Klan, head of the Ku Klux Klan. Ah, yes. Or an ex-head of the Ku Klux Klan, as they say, right? Right. So he was a part of that white power movement. And people felt empowered and compelled to express them their racism um during that time so you know we have that and then not only that you have these situations where you are put in a um you are put in a situation that is outside of your comfort zone like take college right first year in college i went to this place called nickel state which is in Thibodeau, louisiana and uh that is rural as fuck (laughs) so and it was also the first time I would meet and go to school with white people. And that and granted, there are there were and there were white people in New Orleans. I mean they lived in Metairie, but there right. were white people in New Orleans, <laughs> right? <Metairie>. So <laughs> I knew you. Uh, so um but this is my first time really being up front because A, you lived on campus, right? And I, I it was such an eye opening experience. Because on one hand, you have the super racist people who never went to school with a black person before in their lives, and they're scared out their wits. Right. Because they're thinking you're going to do every negative thing that they've seen on TV. Or whatever their parents told them. Absolutely. Or whatever their parents told them. On another hand, you have a lot of curious kids who are like, wonder what that was like, you know? And so it's interesting, um, because I was one of the curious kids as well. And I remember uh, met some guys, they they were like in a dorm, 
uh, the dorm next to me, right? And we were on the same, uh, we we just we had a lot of the same classes, right? And then uh, one day, because I majored in psychology, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and so, I forgot that. <laughs> yeah, so I majored in psychology. So uh, I was in there, and like we actually chopped it up, and we realized we had so much in common. Um, particularly with our families and how we relate. And so that's when we realized, well, maybe we're not so different after all, you know? And uh, I thought that was that was one of my first lessons of like, oh, white people are people too. Right. It's, uh, so, no, but I love, I, yeah. it's so interesting to me that you, we, you both came into college because of whatever situation you grew up in and whatever media you had heard. Mm-hmm. And not that, I mean, you were curious, right? But you also had some stored notions and so did they. And then it took what a conversation, yeah, absolutely. a meal together it to find out. Oh wow, yeah. actually, we have a lot in common. We just have you know some differences based on whatever. Absolutely, we, interpretation. And we're all going to have cultural differences, right? Of course. Like even even amongst black people, we have cultural differences because right. no black um, the black experience is not a you know it's not universal. It's not universal. Right. We have we have different very different black experiences, um, just like white people have different different white experiences you know what i'm saying there's all types of cultural things to consider um but i I remember just having that talk and realizing talking and and conversing with people is 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 unifying you know um we don't i think that's an issue today where people don't talk to each other we are we're so immersed in being online that we don't talk to each other and i think people forgot how to actually be friends yeah, it's 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 getting that way. I mean, you got the social media, and then it's all about how you're using it. I mean, if you yeah. can use social media to hook up and meet up with people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and also like, I, I guess what you're saying, like, you know, Twitter. Twitter is a big one today. Yeah, and Twitter every, is huge. And like, I, I feel like there's actually like a word called Twitter fights, and it's just it's <laughs> it's like people aren't conversing; they're just trying to like slam each other with um, some type of. I don't know, I won, you're dumb, my group versus your group. It's almost becoming tribal. When mm-hmm. we could be having, I mean, some people are using the internet for very good coming together reasons or coming together purposes, but yeah. I feel we have, the internet is a great tool to unify people. Oh, absolutely. And, and at the same time, it's also a tool to dig your heels in, find your comfort zone, find your tribe. You are too scared to have your own identity, so you have to have a tribal identity. Uh, so we find... All sorts of, you know, different things from ranging from the benign, which is, hey, I really, I like geek culture, so I'm going to join this geek group, to to underground, stormfront, hate Mm -hmm. forums to express my viewpoints, which are projected onto other people. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a strange thing. So versus having those conversations, but how do we have those conversations? I mean, the internet's a tool to have it, but then also you discussed in your neighborhood... Uh, it was mostly black people, and in my neighborhood, well, I wasn't really in a neighborhood, but it, mm-hmm. it, where I the the cities near me, yeah, not the one I went to elementary school, but the cities near where my parents had the motel were were, were I was between a very white area and between a mixed ethnicity area because of yeah. the university. So it it also depends on where are we living and what and how are we interacting in the community. Exactly, I was actually going to mention that. Oh, okay. um, as far as like living living ways um in new orleans it was a little bit new orleans is a big gumbo pot depending on where you're at yeah so it was majority black inside the city um and there's a there are a couple specks of white of course uh uptown and you know your gentilly areas but for the most part new orleans is 
it was a really big black environment. Um, and then, of course, out, outside, outskirts. Um, what I found the most interesting as far as race relations is when I moved to Chicago. Um, Chicago is one of the most diverse cities I've ever been Oh yeah, in, in general, but however, it's the most segregated city. Totally by neighborhood. I, by neighborhood, I've never. I didn't know. I was joking with a friend of mine. I was like, I didn't know there were this many different types of white people. <laughs> this shit's crazy. You got right. you got Greek. You got a Polish neighborhood. There's Polish people like for a whole neighborhood. There's more Polish you know people in the west side of Chicago than anywhere in the world except the capital of Poland, which is escaping me right now. Which Warsaw. Is so funny. Yeah. Yeah. So you had oh, all yeah. these oh, different. Oh, you cultures. forgot Swedish. Yeah, Swedish. My grandma's yeah. from Chicago. She's Swedish. Yep. Norwegian neighborhood. Norwegian hospital up there. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what else? You got oh, Little Italy. Yeah. Oh wait, exactly. you already said that. No, no, oh. we we have all types. You know right. what I'm saying? So, and then you literally, if there was a demographic, there was a neighborhood oh, for it. Southside Irish. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, and then of course Logan Square, which was yeah, partly German. Yep. Yeah, partly German. Uh, then you had right around the Latin area as well. Cause that's, oh right, yeah. we were right near uh, Little Puerto Rico, Humboldt Abs- Park. Absolutely, yeah. Humboldt Park, Little Puerto Rico. So yeah, and it was interesting. I'll never forget. Um, and I, I, at first I thought like initially I was like, this is awesome, this is really cool that I can get to these places. And then I realized like people don't leave their neighborhoods. Uh huh. So it's built to keep people segregated. It's crazy. And it's it's crazy because you can leave, you can leave, but it, it and it creates this this fear of the other. And I think that's what hurts us as human beings. I remember listening to Chance the Rapper. He had this song on acid rap called um, Push a Man, right? And like one of the lyrics that stuck out to me, he was like, because he was talking about the the murder rate in Chicago. Because everybody talks about Chicago's murder rate. Everybody talks about it. But they don't realize it's just in the black neighborhoods. It is. It's just on the (laughs) south and west, southwest side. Yeah. And and what people don't know, you, you know this. From living there, if it doesn't happen in the neighborhood, nobody gives a shit. You know what I'm saying? And and, and not only that, real quick yeah. comment to yeah. In Chicago, we have aldermen, so every mm-hmm. neighborhood has like what basically a mini mayor. Another reason not to leave the neighborhood. Every neighborhood's got a bar. Yeah. So anyway, pretty much, it, I I feel like that's all like a, a a way to keep people in. Right. It's like, hey, why you got to leave? You know what I'm saying? We gave you everything. You just got to go downtown to go to work. And that's it. Well, that's the other thing. We only interact on the train. Yep, only interact on the train, and out of fear. They don't really interact. Mm. Well, no, yeah, people yeah. are kind of stoic on the train. Absolutely. So, so you're not a, you're not expected to. So talk. Chicago, you could you could interact, but you had to leave your comfort zone. So you mm. you where we met with the first one of the first places you lived. We actually lived. We didn't know it at the time. <laughs> but we live, yeah, we live like right around the corner well, from well, each other. Finally, when I was coming to yeah. record music, you're like, I live here. I'm like, what? That's two blocks from my house, or yeah. from my apartment. That was crazy. And I was like, oh, I guess I'll just walk over then. I thought yeah. I was going to have to take the train like all over. I didn't know where you lived so the in the first neighborhood. But actually, it was. It, it, I, I feel like I'm trying to figure out where we're going with this. But mm-hmm. I feel like so far, just to summarize, conversations. Yeah. And also understanding that you were raised with a cultural viewpoint. It's I, w- called- I want to go on and say lack of empathy. Because that's oh, what okay. that's where I was headed towards oh, with okay. the with the chance thing. Oh, okay. chance the rapper like he had did this song and it was about the murder rate, the murder rates and like remember how the murder rates used to skyrocket in the spring mm-hmm. because all the leftover beasts in the in the winter, you know, and like there all this talk about murder and Chicago's murder rate, but like North Shore doesn't care, Gold Coast doesn't care, 
You know, and I remember him saying, like, I know you're scared. You can ask us if we're scared, too. If you were there, then maybe you would care, too. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so real. Because these people are scared of that criminal element and don't realize we are, too. No one wants to get shot. We're, no one's comfortable with violence. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, in the human condition, we're not comfortable with that. And but we're in a situation where due to poverty, due to lack of resources, lack of lack of um ment- you know, people don't respect black mental illness. Oh right. Yeah. So we have all that and we're just living in this area where we're forced to deal with it. Food deserts. At food deserts, and we right. are left to be we are paranoid. I told you I remember I think our whole race has PTSD. I remember that. And this is before Trayvon. Right. This like, is before. You told me this yeah. before any of the Black Lives Matter stuff Absolutely. happened. Before any. I mean, not that this stuff wasn't happening, but I think what happened with the Trayvon and. Um, it became popping to kill black people. Well, it also became televised. Absolutely. And, and it was finally be- Eric Gardner. And, mm-hmm. uh, and this. But we were talking about this. I don't know how many years before oh, that this you, you way, said that to way me. before that, yeah, seven or eight years before this whole thing came up. Absolutely, and so that was kind of opening my eyes because I, I had not experienced, you know, what you had experienced and what you had grown up with, and like why you, you when you said I'm paranoid, tell mm-hmm. me more about that because that's actually yeah. true. I mean, not in a bad way, but like no, you, no, 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 actually in a bad way. Well, I mean, I, in a bad I would, way, too. I would say that. Right, okay. Like it's one of those things. I remember when almost every I can I can't speak for everybody. I know that a lot of black males have a have a um have an experience, a negative experience with the police. And I remember when I was young, I was about what, twenty three years old. I was walking down the street and the police stopped me and he was like, Hey, what are you doing outside? And me, being a being an, a young asshole, um, <laughs> was like, Hey, I'm being twenty three and kept walking. And oh. he was like Yo, stop. And I was, you know, of course I stopped, right? And he was like, there was a murder down the street. And I went, I'm sorry to hear about that. That sounds terrible. As you can see, I'm just going to the store, man. I'm not trying to like, that's when I get humble. I'm like, yo, man, I ain't trying. I ain't got no issue because I see the look on his face, right? And so then, you know, I had a knife in my back pocket. Not like a, like a, like a pocket knife per se, but more so like a knife because I was like, I was cooking beforehand and just just threw it in my pocket because I was just going to the store to get some seeds in there real quick, right? And um, I was like, yo, just to let you know, I have a knife in my pocket. I had my, both my hands up just to let you know I have a knife in my pocket. And he was like, he's got a knife. And then he just hit me. And, like, he hit me on the head. And I fell. And I, I didn't get scared because, first of all, I didn't know what was going on. I was like, this is crazy. And the only thing that kind of caught that that caused me to panic a little bit was the, my friend who I was walking with. He uh, and, and thank goodness to this day he walked with me because like he had this look of panic and fear in his face. It's like like tears started welling up in his eyes, and you know dudes don't cry that much. That's, you know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> We're told so we, not to cry. Yeah, right? when we see when we see like a black dude kind of like tearing up, I was like, oh shit, this is bad. You know, right. and like, and like, next thing you know, two more police cars came through, and like, he hit me again, 
I didn't say anything. Like, this is me not. This is me complying. This is the training like you had been taught. Don't, yeah, don't, don't do anything. Don't, this is me complying. Right. And I was like, but I also asked him, why are you hitting me? I'm not doing anything. And like, he was just angry. And then he just hit, and, and like right before he hit me, he hit me with the, um, the door of the car. Because he was like, as he threw me in the car, he hit me with the door of the car first. And then like he put in, I ended up spending the night in jail. And um, my friends bailed me out. But that was an I am me, in other words, which mean and I am a black geek. I'm a guy who doesn't do shit. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. So, like, I was literally walking to the store, and that corner store run turned into an overnight jail stay. You know what I'm saying? So, like, and then you fast forward years later, you have a, a, a you know, you have a Trayvon, you have a Michael Brown, you have a Philando Castile and everything. And, then, and I guarantee you they would have tried to villainize me just like they villainized them, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, what, and, and it's that type of PTSD, right? Because we're... And the thing is, what we're told is that police do that shit and nothing happens. Like... No consequences. No consequences. Like... But we've we Nothing. could I mean we've look we can look at the articles I mean Absolutely. all all the findings look at the it, they data, usually man. are it's, it's encouraged right it's encouraged so when you have situations like that and then you fast forward to the the years of the the days of the um the online videos right mm-hmm. I I tried to explain this to um, white people out here. Because at first they didn't get it. Out in Seattle here. Yeah, out right. in Seattle here. And I was like, and I had to explain it to a lady, and this is, this is a terrible way, but I had to understand, I had to let her know. I was like, hey, imagine that there's a rapist. You see this rapist. And, like, he rapes people with blonde hair like you have blonde hair, right? And I was like, so you literally see this rapist rape somebody with blonde hair, and the police catch him. But then they release him and give him two weeks vacation. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Oh my God. You would you would feel a little hesitant to walk outside that next day. Mm-hmm. Because you have to watch the you have to watch the rape on online. Then you have to know that that rapist got away and inspired other rapists to rape people because hey, it's a free fall. You're not gonna get in trouble. So you the know? metaphor being that the police nah, were replace rape not, with murder. Right. The you know what I'm saying? Right. right. The police yeah. were not being held accountable for murdering or, or or misarresting Absolutely. or or beating people that were innocent. Exactly. And by the by the rulings, it sets it sets an example, it sets a precedent that this thing could be done and you could be fine. That's why you started hearing that's why you started started seeing more publicized murders. Because they were getting away with it. Who gonna check them? And so because of the era of the cell phone camera mm-hmm. and the videos, this is why this all came. This has been happening for way longer. Years, man. Years. So it's yes. it, like I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that a long time ago. So actually, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I feel King. like, and so, oh yeah, Rodney King. I mean, that's going mm. way back ninety two. But also, just curious, the next day mm-hmm. when you got out of jail, yeah, what did they charge you with? Um, possession of an illegal weapon. Really? Mm-hmm. A kitchen knife. Yeah. So what did? You- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sort of curious about the end of the story. Like, what did you yeah. do? Like, did you have to go to court? Or like... I went to court, and they realized it was bogus, and, and they so just... they just threw it out. So you don't... Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, that is just, like, you know, usually outside the realm of my experience. And I, and I guess I didn't realize I learned about, like, 
Anglo-Saxons being the predominant culture and all that later on when I was in graduate school, like as a concept, because I used to joke to people all the time when I was in college, because I kind of look like a chameleon. I don't know if you knew that, but like I have a reputation for being a chameleon. Like I can look differently and I can blend into situations very easily. And and I've always been that way. But also part of it's being an Anglo-Saxon and being kind of you know, very mixed, I have very mixed European heritage, but like I used to joke in college, like I used to be like, like it was a joke to be like, oh, I I walked into that party, nobody said anything. They just thought I fit in. And I walked into this part, and I remember joking that I walked into like some golf event or something, and like nobody questioned me. It was me and my friend, We, we walked in and we just like had some drinks and left, and like no one questioned us, and we were not a member of the golf club, and we weren't supposed to be there. Being white is awesome. I didn't realize that was what it was. Yeah. But because I was in, you know, college and I didn't realize that was what was happening. Mm-hmm. So because I would just, I would just kind of be like, oh, yeah, I'm a chameleon. That's why that happened. Yeah. Like I got lucky or whatever. It was a very wasp move. Right. <laughs> right. So then later on, learning, learning that it was versus, and then I remember talking to you, I was like, well, if you had walked into that golf club, I think that you might have been questioned. Oh, I don't, I don't doubt that at all, sir. I think I would be arrested. Right. <laughs> so, um, so that's most likely what that would be. Um with that, like I said, it it it, it creates a level of paranoia. That's where that, I was going. Because I, yeah. I was saying it was healthy paranoia because the fact that you have to protect yourself, but then I'm thinking, well actually that's not healthy. You shouldn't have to protect yourself because exactly. this is the whole point, which is that it it's only healthy because you're adapting to a sick system. Exactly. Have it, you the ever system lived in is fear? Sick. Have you ever lived in fear? Very briefly. Yeah, that is literally <laughs> every day for a lot of right. people. Well, and you yeah. used to make the joke when I would visit. You'd be like, Paul's driving. Oh, yeah. Paul, because, you're driving. Because Absolutely. a car full of... You're uh, driving this weekend, by the way. Right, <laughs> right yeah. because if, I, if, if they spot me in the driver's seat... Yeah, they're less likely to pull us over. Absolutely, and and I thought you were you, well. You know, I knew you were serious at that point, but like years ago, I thought it was a joke. Yeah, and they were like, "No, no, we all want you to drive. We all want you to drive." And I was like, "Okay, way less threatening, right? Way less so, threatening situation." And and that does bring me to a, a, a thing about the police. I wanted to say, um, the Dallas police in two thousand nine. And I need to look up these stats, but I'll put this article in the show notes to remind me. Oh, really? 147 excessive force complaints. The year I moved there. Uh, oh, really? That's funny. Yeah, I, I, I looked up this study recently, yeah. and they had, oh, I don't remember, a lot of arrests, okay? Uh-huh. 2000, uh, they had a lot of complaints, and the yeah. Dallas police chief, who I believe is African-American, uh-huh. put in in place a um, basically an education seminar for all the police that had to go through it and this is what the seminar was it was basically psych 101 and what it was was uh these are regular people they have emotions they have feelings Mm -hmm. and so when you're gonna confront somebody use the following tactics which are listening to them acknowledging their feelings talking about choices and consequences asking them questions listening that's right? what you should have um, fucking told them in the first place. Well, right. But this is you the training the police like, went through. That That's the shit that pissed me off, though. Like, why does something have to happen for you to express empathy? Well, you exactly. Know? And how long does it take? And why are we not looking at this? Exactly. So then in 2012, three years later, mm-hmm. excessive force complaints were down to about 50... No, sorry. 46. I'll look mm-hmm. up the numbers later, but that's down a third. 
Yeah. And uh, the the arrests were down 1,000 arrests. Mm. So if you think about human nature, if if somebody's innocent and you're yelling at them like they're guilty in an authoritarian way, people tend to get emotional. People get emotional and defensive. Right. And you, luckily, Absolutely. in that moment, just like collapsed and didn't do anything. Well, because I was hurt. Well, you were hurt, but also yeah. like, what if you had fought? Like, you could be dead. Yeah, I so, could definitely be dead. What I'm we saying, are taught, we are taught from from an early age, don't fight with the police. Right. So you in the in the so. Dallas police example, they had this amazing mm-hmm. change among the police force with using basic psychology and empathy. Now, if somebody had a gun out, they didn't change their tactic. But yeah. if somebody's just upset. They had way less arrests, way less excessive force complaints mm-hmm. in three years after putting together that. And it's literally was probably a weekend training. That's yeah, it. I don't, like, I don't uh, know. I think that Dallas still has a long way to go. Oh, I'm sh- Okay. <laughs> Time Absolutely. out. Time out. Does is that fix everything? No. What no, I'm saying not. is that yeah. some police officers listened to that, yeah. took it to heart, and and tried to do differently. The fact is, is why isn't this in the police academy why isn't this oh this should definitely be in the police why academy. isn't this in the attic why are you know why are we having these issues but i'm just show goes to show that like a slight bit like you said knowledge a slight bit of knowledge changed it for some people yeah it helps out it's not fixing the whole problem i'm just saying yeah i think it can i, I think well it we could, need to have more i i agree with the with the logic and the belief that police should police their own community so Ooh. if you have a policeman, okay, you should police your own community. It creates a, a level of familiarity, like having relationships. Mm-hmm. Not not only that, yeah, absolutely. It, it's great to have policemen who are from the area that they are policing. That would make sense because that would make they would understand the culture of that neighborhood. They would understand the culture of the neighborhood. That's what you have a lot of times. You have a lot of times where people um, police an area where they don't understand the culture, they don't understand the people, so they look at them as the other. And when you look at somebody as the other, you you lose empathy. You know, right? One of the you look at I, it's a label. You're yeah. put, looking at people with putting a label on Absolutely. them, and uh, maybe preconceived notions. Because you know what I stopped doing over the years? What I stopped searching for empathy in my oppressors. Mm. I stopped looking at. I stopped saying, "Hey, maybe they wouldn't be racist if they understood my story." They don't give a fuck about my story. All they see is a blight skin. All they see is the other. You know, so I'm not. I'm not here for their. I'm not here for the empathy. I'm not, I don't. I won't assume that they have empathy for me. I won't assume that they, because racist people are just racist people, and they do want you to die. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not like sitting here begging for them to have a heart. This ain't a Christmas special. So right. Well, you have to yeah. protect yourself. Absolutely. You have so to it's a yourself. real threat. But when you're yeah. younger, you think, oh, maybe just if they hear my story or that, and yeah. then through your experiences, because that's only and one that, of and many that, same, that you've no, that's talked sad, about. That's sad though, because because we grew up with. With this sense of there's this innocence and this sense of empathy where we have to um, try to see the good in people. Mm-hmm. And somebody had said something a while ago. It was online and it was poignant and it was a little raw, but I, I agreed. He said, I have no interest in loving my enemy. Hmm. And I was like, yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, when you look at what racism has done, what slavery has done, what institutionalized racism has done, what the prison industrial complex has done, they have told us time and time again that they do not love us. They do not care 
whether or not we are building blocks for America. So I don't want to hear anybody's like, well, why aren't you, why don't you trust white people? You know, <laughs> because history, present, fuck, you know? Right. So it's, it's one of those things where I just have to like, it's a balance, man. You have, I mean, obviously not everybody, um, hashtag not all white men, but like, right. Hashtag, like, like. That's not what you, you never said everybody. that. Yeah. You were just saying that you have to, you had to learn to protect yourself. Absolutely. And you had to learn to have a layer of mistrust before you we trust. just want, exactly. We just, and, and people, black people are just like everybody else, man. Like, like Latins, like Native Americans, like Asian, like they just want to prosper. They so, just want to support their family and prosper. Right. And so that, and, and, and. I won't get and the whole racism thing. There's a whole lot to be said for that. That, and basically, there's a line in an old song mm-hmm. called uh, "You've got to be carefully taught to hate." Mm. You heard that? You heard that song? No, sir. No. Um, so it's basically saying that when kids are kids and they run around together, they don't see they they might notice differences, but they don't have preconceived notions. Absolutely. And so it's an old, old song, and it's uh, it's actually, I'm trying to remember what it's from. It's called You've Got to Be Carefully Taught, and mm. it's from a musical, which is You've Got to Be Taught to Hate and Fear. You've Got to Be Taught from Year to Year. It's mm. got to be drummed into your dear little ear. You've Got to Be Carefully Taught. You've Got to Be Taught to Be Afraid of People Whose Eyes are oddly made and whose people whose skin is a different shade. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught before it's too late, before you're six or seven or eight, to hate all the people your relatives hate. You've got to be carefully taught. And there's more. And it's uh, it's basically talking, uh, it's an anti-racism song, but it's mm. basically bringing it out. It's from South Pacific. It's a play from like the 50s. Oh, so nice. it, it's showing about how, uh, you know, People grow up in this environment, and then they just look for confirmatory bias, which mm-hmm. is in psychology, which I think confirmatory bias is like shows like cops who exploit people that get yeah. arrested. And actually, This American Life just did a special on cops mm-hmm. about how corrupt it is as a as a produced show and how they how they coerce people into oh, signing it's totally waivers. Racist. Well, and they co- coerce people into signing waivers to be on television. Mm. So, and half the time they don't show what happens later. Uh, but a lot of the times, those are misarrests that are thrown out. Yeah. So there's another thing that this brings up in, because you said my my whole race has PTSD, which is, mm-hmm. this is, have you ever heard of transgenerational trauma? Absolutely. Is a trauma that's transferred from the first generation of trauma survivors to the second and further generations of offspring of the survivors via complex post-traumatic stress disorder mechanisms. Totally believe and they, that. they first kind of observed this, and clinicians observed this, um, in the 60s when a large number of children of the Holocaust survivors were see- seeking treatment in Canada, in clinics in Canada. Mm. And the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors were overrepresented by 300% among the referrals to psychiatry clinics in comparison with the representation of the general population. Um, so again, here, symptoms of transgenerational trauma have been, in recent years, have been identified among black Americans in relation to the effects of slavery and racial discrimination. This passing of trauma can be rooted from the family unit itself or found in society via current discrimination and oppression. The traumatic event does not need to be individually experienced by all members of the family. The lasting effects can still remain and impact descendants from external factors. For example, black children's internalization of other 
others' reactions to their skin color manifest as a form of lasting trauma originally experienced by their ancestors. This reaction to black skin stems from similar attitudes that led to the traumatizing condition, conditions and enslavement of slaves. Black and children and youth are more susceptible to racial trauma because they have not yet acquired the knowledge to have the full understanding of racism and its effects, because they're mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. However, these traumatizing behaviors experienced at a young age are a reflection of a child's parenting. A white child may learn racist behaviors from their environment, but on the same token, a black child can learn to assert their blackness and how to respond to racist remarks and actions from their parents. It just depends on who your parents are. Traces of trauma have an impact on black and other minority children's success in educational contexts, etc. There's whole articles on this. There's whole books Absolutely, on this. Yeah. So what is your, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I truly believe that. I think that pain transfers. Yeah. Pain travels. Um, the, the pain that you inflict on others. Remember... These were people who were traumatized. They were brutally beaten, tortured. They were separated from family. These are people who went through some of the worst, long-lasting torture of any human being in the history of the world. And we're not talking like years and years ago. This was not too long ago. No, this is not too long ago. My mother, my mother is in her mid-60s, and she integrated her high school. You know what I'm saying? So, like, wow. when you think about that, that is not long ago. So, uh, you know? just for people who don't know, what does that mean? She integrated her high um, school. She was one of the first black people in our high school to integrate into a mixed into a mixed ethnicity community. community. Absolutely, it was the first time black and white white people were together in one high school in that city. Your mother, my mother. That wow, is not a long time. That ago. It is not a long time ago. No, so, no, no, no. I know she looks young because she's black, but it is not a long time ago. So, you know, it's so. There's, I think there's an attitude of cynicism Mm -hmm. in our culture right now, and especially, unfortunately, among certain segments of the Anglo-Saxon community. Yes. uh, Unfortunately, also especially in places of power and media status. And so, I think as anglo-saxon descendant it is a duty to confront that in our communities when we see that mm-hmm. among people saying stereo uh saying stereotypical derogatory things about a group of people it's ridiculous i think it's more it's, important that um it's more important that white people speak on racist issues uh oh I, ex- I just, absolutely just like i think that it's very important for straight people to speak on lgbtq QIA issues. Um, I was. I remember a friend of mine out here was like, "Hey, we're going to the Black Lives Matter, Matter event. Do you want to go?" And I was like, "I already know I matter. You need to go because uh, they need to see that you think I matter." You know, that's <laughs> so, a very good point. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like lifting each other up and getting involved, and uh-huh. it is so important because it matters for all of our rights. Absolutely. And I mean. There's just, there's a lot of work to be done. And as we said, there's a lot of work to be done here. And I think what we're talking about is having conversations. Absolutely. Is having those conversations, um, not just through the internet and through media and music, like personal conversations. Mm-hmm. Getting And that takes everybody getting out of their comfort zone. So I remember actually, just to bring it full circle, when I first met you in Chicago, you invited me to a Super Bowl party with the Saints. Yes. And or it was made NFC Holy Championship shit. or AFC? Yeah, championship. no, it was an NFC Championship. NFC Championship Saints game. Yes. And I I got there uh-huh. and I walked in 
and I had worked, I had recorded music at your house before. Yeah. But I did discover I was the only person who who would be considered white at the entire party, and there were thirty five plus people there. Absolutely. And that was actually an experience for me because, besides visiting um, a few other like big cities that I'd lived or been to and gone to different places i had never actually been like i'd been to harlem and i'd been yeah. to detroit downtown detroit and i'd been to different parts of new york and i i'd been i'd been out of the country and like been in places where i was the only like english-speaking person mm-hmm. but i'd never been to but but that's all like tourism i i'd yeah. never been to a party where everyone was expecting me and excited uh-huh. that i was there and yeah. except that i was the only white person and everyone was talking about the saints who I, I knew about them, but like I grew up with the Lions who always lose, and it was like sad yeah. for me. But my, no, my half my family's from, well. my, ha- my family's half from Chicago, so it was like the Bears. Everybody kind of likes the Bears, but they always lose too. Yeah. And then I was there, and I remember at, just for like, I don't know, like just like a minute or two, I was mm. like, this is weird. Like I was yeah. like, we, I was like, this is weird. Like I don't understand the Saints phenomenon. Yeah. And I also am the only white person here, and that that made me feel strange. So I was like thinking for a second, how the hell does Chris feel when he shows up to work or just gets on the L train and he's the only black person in the car? That's like normal for you. Yeah, and that's weird. Right, it's just as d- weird. D- I, I, except yeah. that you like have got, uh, probably adapted at Absolutely. first well, after you moved out of New Orleans, but but yeah. you know what I mean. But for me, it was interesting, and I think that's an experience that can help change people when they get out of their comfort zone Mm. and it doesn't take much work all it took for us was a conversation at a party absolutely and having commonality over basically music was the whole point and then we started the universal language thank you i love that quote and then we started making some music together and we made music with your friends and you Mm. made music with my friends yep and we're still making music and we're going to actually have a Chris Talks episode where we talk a lot more about personal yes. stuff coming up. So we're going to put the link to that Oh yeah, if you want to know more. But uh, just for fun, we did actually form a super group, <laughs> which we, we had an interesting name for. Yes, actually, yes, it's the Gentleman of Leisure. We're the Gentleman of Leisure Collective. And I remember when you named it, mm-hmm. it was a joke because all of us worked all the time. And yeah. we had to bust our ass because nobody in the group got handed a silver spoon. No We're one. all from either really poor or lower middle class families. That is correct. And so we thought it was funny because we never had any leisure yeah. time except is, when we were like maybe little kids. And the part that I did tell Paul was that Gentleman of Leisure is also a euphemism for pimps. I did find that out later. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so that was interesting to uh, tell my mom and dad about that. No, oh, that's <laughs> awesome. That <laughs> so, is awesome. Yeah, so that that album is out, the first album we recorded. Yeah. And now um, you can find it on, where can you find it? SoundCloud? Uh, SoundCloud, Spotify. Spotify. Yes, sir. It's called The Great and Powerful. Great and Powerful. And it's actually got a ton of different musicians on it that are yeah. all friends of ours. And yep. it was a lot of fun. We And we've been working on that. And Chris and I are both working on music projects and podcasts, which you can see and if you want to look yep. us up. But basically, I appreciate this conversation. And I mean, let's just put it this way. I mean, this is mm-hmm. just like, what is this? I, I, just a small step to, to discuss this. And the more discussions we have... I don't know. The more awareness we create, the more knowledge, you're better at summarizing things. Oh, yeah. I think that 
in general, the more conversations, knowledge, man, knowledge is the cure. You know what I'm saying? By by learning about different different experiences, we find the common ground. I think so. That's what's going to help society in the future. Talk to people. Get out your comfort zone. Talk to people. Um, erase the fear. Replace that fear with faith in yourself. Uh, a lot of times, you you put out the same energy that you get. Mm-hmm. You know, so remember to approach things from a positive aspect, and you'll get some positive vibes. Yeah, that's that's how I look at it. Yeah, absolutely. So, thank you, Chris, for letting me use your studio and interview you. Oh, no problem, man. Thank you, thank you for doing this, man. This has been great. I'm happy to be a part of your show. Uh, like I said, we've we've always had plenty of conversations like this, and it's just good to have this right now in front of the world, um, sober. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, this is a yeah, this, this is, is a conversation <laughs> that's not on the phone. Yeah, this, totally sober. Uh, totally sober. It's not and over drinks and be like, you know what? I fucking hate racist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Me too. Yeah. But, uh, it, yeah, we we've had. I mean, this is a very mild version, but I'm glad yeah. we got to put this out here. Me too. Man. And uh, all right, I guess we're gonna go play some music now. All right. Thank you very much. Absolutely, man. Let's get to it. All right. All right. Peace. This has been another episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast. I really enjoyed my conversation with Chris. I find him to be one of the most honest people I've ever met. And not only is he honest, but he will tell you pretty much anything he thinks about anything, whether it's going on right now or it's something that he's read about or heard about. And I think that's really refreshing because we became friends over conversations And we came from quite different cultural and environmental areas. So if we can become friends and real friends, genuine friends where you share your inner feelings and highs and lows and, you know, even get in arguments and all things like that, I think that most people could, but there's a lot of inner work to do sometimes that keeps us from having certain friends or getting in certain situations and especially breaking out of our comfort zone. I know that it was challenging for me at first to break out of my comfort zone in my life, but when I did, there's so many rewards that have come from it. And it's not a one-time thing. I think you have to continually break out of your comfort zone. So I just wanted to thank Chris for his fantastic commentary, his honest answers to my questions, and his challenging of me over the years Uh, not only as a friend, um, but just as somebody who's really conscious about what's happening in the world and wants to help others. Also, Chris makes some pretty good music, so you can check out some of the links in the show notes to Chris Blount and Gentlemen of Leisure. He's very talented and quite a wordsmith. I also love listening to his podcast. Now, Profoundly Ignorant is really funny, and he kind of plays a character in that so you'll see uh and he is himself but it's definitely interesting and uh chris talks is uh also personally my favorite of his podcast because it's just his raw personality interviewing people and uh having awkward conversations because he's so honest and i love it so yeah for more on chris you can check out the show notes And now for the disclaimer. 
The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Krauss and his guest, and while these may be based on their experiences and things that they have read in the literature, they should not be viewed as the definitive opinion on any subject. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you are in a crisis, please dial 911 right now or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 1-800-273-8255. If you are in need of counseling or another professional, please don't make a, don't hesitate to make an appointment with a local counselor in your area. If you are looking for counseling in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, you can find out more information about Paul's practice at healthforlifegr.com and the new Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids, which is in Health for Life's office. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. If you like this podcast, please share it with friends. And if you have social media, you can share it there as well. Also, just a last note for clinicians. If you are looking for electronic medical records for your practice, I recommend trying out Simple Practice. If you're interested in trying out Simple Practice, check out the link in the notes of this episode for a 30-day free trial. If you utilize the link I provided and decide to subscribe, this podcast will get a small referral fee. I thank you in advance. All right, everybody. It's been real. I hope you liked this episode. There are a lot of cool links to music, to podcasts, to different things we referenced in the show notes, and you can check those out. Feel free to send me some feedback. Feel free to rate this podcast on uh, the podcast app or wherever you rate them and whatever. And I'm going to leave you with some music. So thanks so much for tuning in. Behold your applause, the human is the clause, that vanity in us all. The hero and the villain, we validated it all. But we're good to great man with every obstacle solved. Yes, promise provides precedence. Search for perfection and hopes to catch excellence. Make reality of what they said was never meant. Risk a little hell for what we feel is heaven sent. And so we clock in, deal with the worst of. Knowing wisdom's not the lesson but the search of. We overworked over it all and underpaid. But we know through the struggle is how the heart is made. That's why I stay chill like the Eskimos say. Cause you gotta be prepared for when the ice breaks. And we won't erase cause we don't concede. Cause we deserve it all, so raise your glasses, please. Cheers, my friends, I'm speaking to you. Keep on fighting for what is true. With our minds set up, we can lose. Cheers, my friends, this one's for you. We sung the song of sorrow and hum the hymn of pain. Focus on the more, cause we got more to gain And if you go through hurdles, well here we go again Just maneuver through it all and let success reign Insane and out of space, so many out of bounds Which means they out of touch, they high up in the clouds But I'm still down to earth, which means I'm on the ground Which means I'm close to you, so I'm into it now uh, So say hooray for the providers Who persevere through the most severe cause they survivors The ones who live to pull an extra ship and never tire Who do it for their family cause they the main suppliers you deserve a trophy and accolades as well The faker never fail and let the rule prevail And when the weak bells, all that remains is us And with that said, I say salute, bottoms up Cheers, my friends, I'm speaking to you Keep on fighting for what is true With our minds lit up, we can lose Cheers, my friends Oh, that's
that's probably Jared's fault. <laughs> the microphone kind of smells like barbecue. Take us under, you don't want it if you see us, then we coming 
Yeah. 